one person owns your life and that is you mm. if you want to craft your own life and if you want to be happy you have to stop living for other people's validation the most powerful validations are when um, you craft your own paths which uh, may be very very different from what a powerful figure in your life your father or your masi or whatever wanted you to go on and uh, a few years later they say wow this is episode number 80 of the inspiring talk with mohit satyanand Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. We really come across people who are so wise and bring a lot of understanding and experience about life. Mohit Satyanand is one of such people whom I have recently met and fell in love with the deep wisdom he has about life, love and passion. He is so articulate and speaks beautifully that you won't get tired hearing him. You might have known Mohit is founder and chairman of Teamwork Arts, a company that organizes festivals across the world. including the most popular one Jaipur Literature Festival He established India's first successful snack food brand Cracks the company that produces the most popular corn rings among other things He has been an entrepreneur all his life and in the last few years he has invested in several companies as angel investor and now he mentors them On this episode we discuss wide ranging topics from what Mohit learned about happiness following your heart validation self love and more I personally learned a lot from our conversation and I'm sure you will learn a lot as well and I'm sure a lot of wisdom shared on this episode will stick to you for a long time without further ado let me welcome Mohit Satyanand Welcome back inside this episode guys. I'm super excited to be sitting here with Mohit Satyanand here. Mohit, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. So Mohit, I would like to jump straight in into the conversation. I recently listened to this one interview of yours where you have said the most important clarity is clarity of who you are. Absolutely. And I have had a lot of guests in this show who are talking about knowing who you are. and but one of the things that i find a lot of people struggling with is how do i go about discovering myself where do i begin where does even someone start with discovering who they are yeah so i don't think that um, that journey is ever complete mm-hmm. but the joy is in actually setting out on that journey those who say the journey is uh, complete are those who have uh, realized themselves and uh, there are very few such people in the history of the planet so it's a lot of little little little, little steps and some of them are learning 
about who you are not. Hmm. That's not necessarily negative. Um, and some of them are about learning who you are. To some extent, this question raises the issue of um, how much free will you have. And uh, if you are not made as uh, a person who reflects, can anything force you onto that journey? I don't know the answer. But I do know that if you have some of that in you, then you can perhaps multiply it mm -hmm. and uh, grow on it. And um, these journeys are also not uh, unbroken journeys. They're journeys which sometimes deepen, sometimes stop completely, and uh, may or may not resume. I think that the most valuable tool in self-discovery really is to pause. And there are many ways in which you pause. You pause before you speak. You pause before you take a major decision. You pause in your life. You take breaks. You pause on a day-to-day -day basis. You don't run from one thing to another. But I think the most valuable pause of all is um, the pause called meditation. Hmm. And the reason I put it there last is not because it's the least, but because it seems very daunting to people. A lot of people, yeah. yeah. You know, meditation. And I think yeah, that's there's a lot of a, uh, you know stigma. You may like to say or a lot of uh, uh, you know these yogis and sadhus. You need to be one of those. There's so, a lot of baggage attached. Baggage attached to it. To yeah, it. Yeah. But I think that's changing. That's changing. Yeah. And um, ironically, to some extent, it's changing. <laughs> Uh, in India, because now it's become fashionable in the West. True. Though um, you could say that the bulk of the meditative tradition lies in the East. So true. Uh, it's always been very much part of uh, the um, Hindu way of life is to search within. And in Buddhism, which began here, wandered off into Central Asia, went off to China and um, Japan and into Tibet and then came back here. And uh, over the last 25 or 30 years, meditation has become a big thing in the West. And there was a transcendental meditation of Maharishi Yogi, which became famous, ironically, because of the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And then you had all the um, white people following uh, the Dalai Lama and uh, all the Buddhist uh, traditions. And now you actually have apps. Yeah. So you have the waking up app from Sam Harris. <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, over the last 20 days, I've been following the waking up app. I've subscribed to it. Okay. And despite having involved myself to a reasonably deep extent for many, many years in the, broadly speaking, you could say yogic traditions of meditation, I found that there's a lot to be learned from waking up as well. So there is this whole tradition of uh, meditation. But once you get into that habit of pausing, looking at yourself, you can find that meditation in anything. To be a good actor, for example, yeah. or even a voiceover artist, we're sitting in a studio, 
I think the most valuable thing you can be as a voiceover artist is to learn to listen to yourself. Hmm. And as an actor, to listen and watch yourself. So that act of stepping out of yourself and looking. Strangely, there is a symmetry as well, because I can discover a lot of myself by looking at how you regard me. Mm. And therefore, I need to be able to regard you carefully, mm. because I can see in your eyes and the way you react to me, who I am at that point in time. So, meditation and self-awareness and the potential for it mm -hmm. exists at every moment in life. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily require you to sit in a special room with some picture in front of you and yeah. some music and some <laughs> agarbatti. It doesn't require any of that. It's, 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 yeah. it's just a way of life. But it's a very valuable way of life. Because in a sense, what it is saying, there's a central philosophy over here. And that central philosophy is the uniqueness of each human being. Hmm. If we were all the same, yeah. we wouldn't need to look at ourselves. I can look at you and say I'm the same as you and therefore I can behave like you. The need to look at myself is because I am unique. And when you start this, you realize many, many, many things that each of us has our own path. Yeah. That each of us respond differently to everything that exists outside. And the closer you understand yourself, the easier life becomes. The deeper the understanding that your journey is a unique one. And uh, therefore, you don't need to look at other people yeah. to discover the path that yeah. you're headed on. And then it's almost as though anybody else's life is has very little relevance to yours hmm. because of your uniqueness. Now, uniqueness doesn't mean that you are super great or anything. It doesn't mean it doesn't have any normative value. Mm -hmm. It just has this one particular value, which is that each of us is a unique individual and must live life according to our own lights. Hmm. So I totally agree on the part of stopping and uh, reflecting on your own life. And uh, so in this age, right? So before I move into the next thing, which I want to talk about is the asking yourself questions. And when you start reflecting and then you start asking yourself questions. So I asked myself, is this something that I want to do with my life when I was working as a research scientist? And then the answer was big no. And then that's when the whole journey of finding what's the next thing that I want to do started. So I'll come to that part. But in this age of where everyone is running and rushing through and, you know, have to be at 10 different places at one point of time, how do you really do get into meditation or where can one then, you know, get started with that practice? How did you, when was it, uh, you know, you started meditating and uh, how do you find time? I know that you ate 63, if I'm not mistaken, you do a lot of things than a lot of young people. Then how do you find time? So the funny thing is that the more you are self-aware, the more productive you become. And uh, 
the day is really, really, really long. Twenty <laughs> you know, four hours is a huge amount of time, uh. and even if you sleep eight hours a day and you spend um, two hours a day in fulfilling all your basic bodily functions, which is a lot, you know, eating and um, dressing and uh, so on and so forth, there's still fourteen, fifteen, sixteen hours a day. That's an <laughs> enormous amount of time. You know, even fifteen minutes of Let's say self-reflection. Let's not call it meditation because, as you said, the word has a lot of baggage. It can really multiply the productivity of uh, everything that you do the rest of the day. So, you know, I'm going back to what I said earlier. Part of this is what we are given, uh, what is natural to either your nature or the way you're nurtured. So, my mother used to tell me that uh, when my younger sister was born, I was only 14 or 15 months old and she was finding it really difficult to deal with two young children. So she used to put me in a basket and uh, put me at the far end of the garden under the trees. And so I used to be completely happy being left alone over there, looking at the trees for hours on end and you didn't need anybody <laughs> or anything. So maybe it was always just part of me. But the fact is that I think I was always uh, also doing 11 different things, <laughs> even when I was in my, in my 20s. But there came a time when um, I was physically quite broken, you know, in the sense that I just pushed my body too much. I was doing too, too many things. And at the age of uh, 28 or 29, I had a really, really bad slip disc. And I ended up spending uh, two or three months in bed. Mm. And uh, all those three weeks in hospital. And there was something very informative about the fact that uh, on the one hand, the surgeon wanted to do a spinal surgery. Now, this was in the early 80s. Okay. Surgical techniques were less refined than mm, they are today. Yeah. And it was a quirk of fate because um, I was admitted to the hospital under initially the care of the head of orthopedic surgery. But then my uncle, who is a research scientist, said area where they need to operate is the lower spine. And that's an area which is very dense in nerves. And I would prefer it if a neurosurgeon did the surgery. Now, the neurosurgeon was very strange because uh, he was in no hurry to operate. Mm -hmm. Said so you spend a week doing physiotherapy. And then we'll see. So I've been trying to do physiotherapy for the last two months. It hasn't helped. No, you try. One week became two, became three. At the end of three, I was walking up and down the corridor. And he said, now you go home. <laughs> no surgery required. And that got me thinking about the power of healing that lies within you. Hmm. So here were these two approaches. One is you're broken, yeah. you need to be fixed from the outside. Yeah. And the other is you're broken, we can teach you how to fix yourself from inside. Hmm. And certainly the surgery would have worked. Uh, you know, it was a well-established surgery, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. But this worked too. Yeah. And now if I look back, this is 35 years ago, right? That's a really long time. And we don't know the counterfactual. We don't know what my body would have been like if I'd had that surgery. Mm. But we do know that I'm now almost 64 and uh, I can still 
cycle 75 kilometers a day or swim mm-hmm. four kilometers or run 10 or whatever. So that the body could heal itself. Mm. And for the body to heal itself, the mind also had to get rid of the fear that if I touch my feet, I'm going to injure my back. If I put a backpack and climb up to a pass at 18,000 feet, am I going to sprain my back? Mm-hmm. So both of them had to work together. So these early, almost accidental lessons in the power of your own mind and your own body turn you inward and realize that there's a lot of strength within each individual. And in my case, I think these sort of set me on that path on that journey but life is a series of accidents yeah the thing about accidents is that um two different people will react very differently to the same opportunity being presented to them one person may see it as an opportunity and the other person may just say i'm not interested true so i'm always very hesitant to say you know i could see so clearly that this is the path i must go on and this is what i must do I only see my life as being a series of very 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 fortunate huh. accidents. Yeah. To have put me in a place where uh, today I feel um, very blessed and very happy with the life that has been uh, given to me and the time and the grace of um, spending time consulting myself. Mm. Great. So do you ask yourself questions? Of course. <laughs> What are some of the questions that you have asked yourself the most self-reflection questions or the questions that you might have used in your life to course correct let's say you were headed somewhere without knowing that that is something that you wanted to do if that has ever happened or generally just to look the questions yeah. all human beings ask themselves mm-hmm. are um, firstly about money Uh-huh. <laughs> in today's world yeah secondly about love thirdly and most deeply about meaning and that's a very difficult one and um i think the one that i got sorted out first of all was money mm-hmm. and so when i began my career in uh, at 21 i was very clear that i needed to be very rich <laughs> but that, so why why is that like is that i don't know it was just a thing for me you know uh, is that because about uh, you know things that you have uh, been through in your life or is no, there anything of that sort or no no i had a very very easy very very yeah. comfortable uh, life it was just something you know okay but by the time i was 24 or 25 i realized that money didn't mean anything to me mm. it didn't mean that much to me so that i sorted out very early in my life related to money was uh, ambition and the two often go together not necessarily but they often go together and i realized that uh, to some extent not necessarily because these are very very um, hazy things but i realized that a lot of ambition comes from the need to prove something to other people to the world etc so to some extent they stand outside of yourself yeah So quite rapidly I got rid of that as well. The third is or was about love and you know most of the time when we talk about love we talk about it in the very specific 
framework of romantic love or a partner. And that's certainly very, very important. And I will talk about that. I won't go away from that. But as I um, grow older, I realize that uh, there's a lot more to love than just that one or two or three relationships. You know, so there's romantic love, there's the love that you're almost sort of born into, and sometimes it sort of transmutes into just habit, which is the love for parents mm -hmm. and siblings and so on. But as you grow older, you realize that uh, love is a very, very important force in the world, and uh, you can expand that sense of love to large numbers of human beings. And every time you open your heart a little bit more, it makes you a happier person. So this question of love in the context of finding the right person to love and live with and so on and so forth is probably the most confusing part of life between <laughs> sort of 18 and uh, till about 60. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because first it's about relationships, then perhaps it's about finding a partner, if you believe in partnership and monogamy and so on and so forth. Then it's about the relationship you build with that person, yeah. if you do settle down and uh, so on and so forth. And then gradually it sort of transmutes. So I think that today I can actually say that I have a very, very easy relationship with uh -huh. this context of love. Why do you, you say know? that? Because I'm not plagued by it any longer. I'm not plagued by questions like, you know, do I love so-and-so enough? Uh, and once you become secure as a human being, it doesn't really matter to you whether other people love you or not, you know. But uh, I do have to say that, um, you know, given the fact that most of the people who are listening to this are going to be a lot younger than me, this stuff that I'm saying is not so relevant. What is more relevant is how did I resolve this issue between 20 and 40? It was a long period for me yeah. because I only got married at 40. Right? True. <laughs> and um, I met a lot of people in that intervening time. I lived a very, very free life and had a lot of interactions and, uh, and so on. But... Um, one thing was very clear, which was that I trusted my heart. That is, I think, if I look back, that is a very, very abiding principle for me, which is that um, I don't want to sound judgmental, mm -hmm. but when I look around me, I see that a lot of relationships then and now were formed from sort of preconceptions, perhaps more so than now. Mm. I want to get married to girl stroke boy who is A, B, C, A, B, C, D, yeah. and E. Mm. And my reaction even then when I was in my early 20s was, you want a relationship with a human being, not with a bio data. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this is something that I could see with clarity yeah. at 23 or 24. Mm. Whereas I saw all around me, mm -hmm. people were getting married to bio datas and to a pretty face. Yeah. And to me, that was there's no shortage of pretty faces. You yeah. Know? So, w what was your ABC? Not I had no ABCs. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I had one A, which is perhaps less important now, uh -huh. but that was that I must be able to relate intellectually mm. with this person. But uh, there was no shortage of intelligent women in my life either. It was simply I will know when it is the right person. That person must be able to move move my heart. Mm -hmm. Today, my position is different. 
which is that I think anybody can move my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a good prescription. Um, so, um, but uh, it took a long time. It took a very long time. Uh, there were a couple of relationships which sort of moved a little bit, but they didn't quite. Mm-hmm. They didn't quite fit. I think I had the clarity to to deal with that. And two very important things. One is that a lot of people, if they have a failed relationship, get into another one on the rebound. And that's the worst thing that you can do. And there can be the opposite reaction, which is to say, this is a very treacherous path and I don't want to subject myself mm. to it. But um, that didn't happen to me. I very, very consciously put myself into a situation where I said, I've learned something from this. Mm. This was itself became an object of meditation. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What was it in this relationship that made it so fraught? Mm. It was very important to understand it and to understand it very, very deeply to the extent that one was capable, you know? Yeah. We all have our limitations. But to actually meditate upon it and try and find the truth of why it didn't work. And when you do that, the truth is actually very simple. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not about money or career or father-in-law to be or not to be or whatever. It's actually something very, very, very deep about about the connect with uh, two people. It may have lessons for you as to what kind of a person you are. But the truth is actually very, very simple. Mm. So any failure in if you want to call it a failure in love, has very deep lessons. But you must be able to look for those lessons and deal with it, not with your ego. Yeah. Because when a relationship doesn't work, our egos get very slighted. Mm. But that's the wrong starting point. Yeah. Because uh, it's not, a lot of people treat it as a rejection. It's not a rejection. It's some lack of connect between two souls. And if the two souls have not connected, that becomes an opportunity for you to understand your soul better. So that's love. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. I love that. So I think that's a very, uh, you know, deep insight there about relationship because most of the time we attach or we want to be in relationship with you know those a b c check 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 and i think you know it will go through it will fly off because the person whom i want to be in relationship fits in the you know box or those checklists that i have prepared and it's it's beyond that as you have mentioned it's about as you mentioned it's about the connect like really can you really connect with that person and i think that really matters so i think that that's a really specific relationship advice there for people yeah (laughs) so one of the things that you have mentioned what drives a lot of people and it to some label each one of us are looking for validation from you know the outer world or we are trying to prove to maybe the mother's sister who might have said you something someday or to you know father's 
brothers son whatever right so you know whatever some my answer to that is grow up <laughs> <laughs> these are tools that the world uses to um, to try and tell us what to do mm. but um, only one person owns your life and that is you mm. if you want to craft your own life and if you want to be happy you have to um, uh, you have to stop living for other people's validation the most powerful validations are when um, you craft your own path which uh, may be very very different from what a powerful figure in your life your father or your masi or whatever wanted you to go on and uh, a few years later they say wow that's a much more powerful validation than so and so saying you must do this and then you behave like a performing monkey and spend the next 2 years uh, studying for iit and then joining iit and uh, then finishing iit and then taking a job and then 5 years later saying this is not for me yeah. you know so um, we're not performing monkeys yeah. and uh, nobody can be our madari we have to be our own madari and we mm. have to play our own tune So, but it's not easy of when course. you look at our culture, like at least in India and even the entire Asia, where parents have this huge control over their kids, and just breaking that off and saying, "You know what? I'm not going to listen to what you are saying." Well, I'll say two things in response to that. Firstly, that um, if any of you hearing this show become a parent uh, before your child is born, <laughs> please pledge <laughs> never to impose your own. values on your children what your parents uh, may or may not have done to you in terms of uh, making expectations on you that you can't do anything about but please pledge not to play the same role in your children's lives as far as the first is concerned again you need to see that with clarity you need to look on your relationship with your parents and see with clarity where they have played the part of nurturing you and encouraging you to pursue your own dreams and where they are projecting their own perhaps frustrated desires yes. or their view of the world which is 99% of the time it's a very dated view because most of us are set in our ways by the time we are 30 so you know you've decided at the age of 30 that this is the best thing possibly to do and 20 years later when your son or daughter is uh, 20 now you want them to do that yeah. the world has moved on hugely since then mm-hmm. so you have to let go of all of that and um, you have to craft your your own life at some point in time you have to tell your parents where they get off and it doesn't necessarily have to cost you that relationship mm. because if a relationship is based on power it's not a relationship worth having then you have to let go of it and i'm not saying that every parent is going to be as understanding as uh, say my parents were but there were i've taken very very unconventional steps in uh, my life and my parents weren't necessarily happy with uh, those steps but i made it very clear that uh, i was answering a call and uh, if they were willing to stand by me good and well and if they weren't i was still going to go ahead mm-hmm. so 
charting your own uh, course is not easy life is not meant to be easy you know life is meant to be rewarding and the two are very different if you want life to be rewarding then you have to be prepared to take tough shit mm. you know if you want life to be easy you could end up being a basket of regrets by the time you're my age <laughs> you got to choose yeah. you know do you sure. want to have an easy life and yeah. end up with a basket of regrets yeah. or do you want to take the tough life and say either i did what i wanted or at least i tried and dug a deeper path than mm. the easiest one you can't have both yeah so yeah as you mentioned it's not definitely going to be easier because you also need to understand the perspective that they are coming from and uh, as you mentioned they are trying to impose the fears that they have on you and they might have been through certain circumstances and the world they come from it's totally different and then they see the world with that lens and they are trying to pass on the same lens because they felt that way you will be safer you will land you know in a safe zone again i'm going to say the best gift that you can give your children is courage and again i was fortunate in that my parents gave me courage but i think i amplified that in my relationship with my son mm. um, we only had one child which is to give him courage really early in life mm. and um to give him unconditional love and support so that he crafts his own journey and learn to be comfortable with that but if you didn't get it from your parents you've got to find it find the courage to be who you are find the courage to live with insecurity with uncertainty with not knowing what the next step is that's the only way to have a meaningful life so next thing i would like to add on same thing about going on the unconventional path and uh, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast they would like to craft their own path or do something that they are passionate about and they um you know they love doing next thing that kicks in is the self doubt aspect of it where they are not or people are not very confident about am i really good enough can i do this or how does one you know tackle the self doubt self doubt always exists it exists yeah. through your life mm -hmm. you can be the most successful actor in bollywood i always ask this not because i have anything against him but do you think that shahrukh khan doesn't have self doubt mm. what's your what's your answer to that he does i'm yeah. sure he he does yeah. i'm sure he yeah. does i'm yeah. sure he does i'm not saying i know he does but i'm sure he does yeah. you know? we know that uh, rekha had such tremendous self doubt right mm -hmm. you know yeah we know that meena kumari had such great self doubt and from whatever anecdotes one has every superstar is looking over their shoulder at at the rivalry and trying to figure out what their box collections were for their latest uh, uh, big ticket film etc etc so self doubt is part of life and that's why i said earlier you have to learn to live with uncertainty a lot of this self doubt see there are two parts to it one is am i good enough yes and the other part of it is am i as good as so and so 
Hmm. Now you have to separate the two. Yeah. Because am I as good and so and so is already putting you into a secondhand life. <laughs> because you're not looking at yourself. I like that. Yeah. Right. Now the other question is am I good enough? For what? Let's let's take a very mundane example to illustrate it, which is that um you decide one day that you want to run. Right? Now you're already 28 years old. I'm just taking a hypothetical example. You're already 28 years old. You're never going to become Usain Bolt, right? <laughs> That doesn't stop you from running. True. Why are you running? You're running because you enjoy running. Mm. You're running perhaps because you think it's going to improve your health. You're running perhaps because you like that sense of being free early in the morning. So there's several reasons for doing it. It's not because I want to become the best runner on the planet or you're not asking am I good enough for for what? Mm. The question is is it bringing you pleasure? And if it is, you do it. A lot of this am I good enough is coming from this instinct of a pecking order that there is this ranking and I'll only do this if I can be in the top 3 or the top 5 or the top 10 or etc 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 that takes you back to the same thing which is a second hand life because the moment you say where do i stand in this ranking it's again back to where am i relative to so and so the moment you do that again you're back to a second hand life now these are these are things that we are conditioned to from age 3 Oh yeah. Your sister drank her milk in 2 minutes while you're taking 5 minutes, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, in school or oh, you know the other children have finished their homework while all the time. Finished. So it's all the it's time. There. Yeah. Your condition to yeah. it, you know. But growing up is about recognizing the conditioning jettisoning it. Mm. And this is an act of will and it's an act that you have to keep peeling those layers of conditioning off. That's part of the process of self-discovery and it's part of the process of of happiness. and that journey never stops you know? yeah <laughs> even at i mean i don't think 63 or 64 is that old yeah. what i'm saying is that i'm still peeling these layers off and i'll continue mm. hopefully i'll continue till the day i die i will mm-hmm. peel, peel off some of these layers yeah. you know because i'm sure new conditioning is also being imposed on me even today yeah probably not as deep or as insidious as the conditioning that was imposed when i was uh, two or three or four or five but it's being and you have to continually strip it off you mm. you are confronting reality and relationships and so on as nakedly and openly as possible and becoming more and more comfortable with that nakedness of that uh, openness mm. that's why when you asked me before we started <laughs> recording are there any questions with our which are off bound no there aren't because that means that i'm putting this layer on myself and saying no 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 i'm not going to discuss this mm. and that opening up yeah again i'm not saying that you can do that at 20 or 25 or 30 mm-hmm. but you must recognize that it may take you 40 years to jettison one layer which is always you've sort of held it and protected you and that's fine don't be ashamed of it mm. but recognize that it's there and when you can actually either pierce a tiny little pinhole in it or a big tear or just rip it off and flush it down the toilet mm. that's a day to celebrate wow that's very deep mm. 
Um, I would like to now talk about decisions. We all do take decisions, uh, whether, you know, for you. We take thousands of yeah, decisions we take thousands every day. Of every single day. <laughs> but I'm talking about the, you know, big decisions in life. So you quit your job at 21 to start your on right, 25 25 to start you on right, yeah right so whether be that decision of starting you on or today is an entrepreneur mentor or as investor you you are taking decisions uh, on a regular basis so are there uh, you know some sort of filters that you use or now if i have to go back to uh, say abc of okay if these are the top things that i always is a values uh, on any decision that i make uh, what what are what would those be so today i take decisions almost instantaneously mm-hmm. for example one of the things that i there's not immediately answering your question but one of the things that i do now is i invest in startups right so over the last 5 um, years i've invested in 30 startups wow I think it's only been once or twice that um I've not taken a decision after my first meeting with the entrepreneur. Just for example, right today a friend of mine about 4 days ago when I was in Bangalore said I met this guy and this is what he's doing and I'd like you to meet him and um so when you're free I said I have a recording in the afternoon So let's meet at about 12. So he came at 12. This guy came. We talked for 45 minutes. Uh, he said, okay, so now what happens after that? I said, uh, I'll decide and I'll uh, post it on the app. Within a few minutes of his leaving the door, I hit the app and said, commit such and such <laughs> amount. So decisions have become very, very easy for me mm. um, uh, today. But I'm sure that's... because you have uh, you know this long experience behind you and uh, you know decisions if you ignore outside compulsions then decisions are made either from the heart or from the head mm-hmm. they also need to inform each other you know the heart has got to feel good and the head has uh, got to feel good and um, i'm a very numerate person okay i understand numbers and i have an extremely logical mind but i think all the decisions that i make come from the heart and um, or maybe it's because the the mind can process everything so fast that the the baton passes to the heart immediately so mind is already put a green flag out there that takes seconds and uh, then because the heart is open the heart can say yes immediately Also I think you know it flows from this sort of this understand from this continual self reflection. So I'll give you the first major decision that uh, I made was uh, when I chucked up my job with Hindustan Lever. Yeah. And it was quite funny because uh, this friend of mine, a school and college friend of mine came to Bombay. He rang me up these were days when there was no um, STD leave alone cell phone or whatever you had to make a trunk call called me up said I'm coming to Bombay on such and such day and can we meet and I said yeah and the moment I sort of went to his hotel room I realized something inside me said he's not here by chance you know he made it sound like it was chance but he's here actually to meet me mm-hmm. after about 5 minutes it became clear that he was 
you know, he was dying to say something. So he jettisoned all the niceties of, you know, have a drink and I get something. He said, listen, listen, this is what I want. I want you to come to Delhi and start a new business for me. And I won't interfere. I'll just give you a blank check and a blank office and you start something for me. I was 25 then. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. <laughs> and he said, what? So I said, yeah. <laughs> so he said, you don't want to know like the details and uh, how much I'm going to pay you and so on. I said, I'm sure you pay me well. And I meant it. Mm. It was a really, really major decision. True. I was giving up a job as a, as a manager with Hindustan Unilever, which was by far the most reputed company in, 1970, in 1981, right? Yeah. And uh, going to work for a small business family. This was before the age of startups and, you know, entrepreneurship and so on. These words didn't exist. Yeah. I was going to work for what in the language of that time was a Banya family. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the language. I was leaving a job with Hindustan Lever to go and work with a Banya family. I said, yes, on the spot. And he asked me, because we'd grown up together, he said, you don't want to consult uncle? Meaning my dad. Yeah. I said, no, I'm coming to Delhi on business over the weekend and I'll tell him then. Now, how did this happen? This happened because in those four years that I'd been within the Sunlever, I'd recognized that this was not for me. I recognized that I was learning an enormous amount in this organization, but that I am not the right person to work in a large organization. I recognize that I'm not the kind of person who can say, yes, sir, when I actually mean, you know what, we need to talk about this. And I'm not sure. I was always going to be thinking of something out of the box at a time when thinking out of the box was not encouraged in large companies. And over the years, I'd learned to trust this person. Then what I call, and I tell lots of people this, I was willing to say, don't sweat the small stuff. Hmm. If your heart is telling you yes, everything else will work itself out. Supposing, for example, I sit down and negotiate a great package with him. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, because something is happening in his head, he says, okay. But later on, he starts, because his heart is not in the right place, he starts squeezing or not giving me the place. Then. I'm taking the decision for the wrong reasons. Mm. At age 25, what is the most important thing for me was the conviction that this guy will let me set this business up in the way I would like to set it up Mm. and not the terms and conditions and the salary and, you know, the perquisites and so on. That is the most important. So if you're convinced about that, forget the small stuff. Mm. And that's what makes it really easy. And I think looking at the bigger picture is also a skill of its own. Like not everybody is able to look at the bigger picture. And, you know, a lot of us uh, struggle with the, or sweat the smaller things mm-hmm. or the instant thing. Like this is something 
uh, that I see a lot of people doing. Like when there is really some opportunity coming in. So rather than looking at the bigger picture, we often tend to look at what's exactly am I going to get in return tomorrow morning or in a month. Right. Rather than looking what will this relationship can take me over the period of years. Does it work for me? Yeah. You know, does it work for who I am? Does it speak to my current understanding of my myself? So uh, again, it goes back to courage. Mm. You say that if the big picture is right, everything else works. And if I spend too much energy in the small shit, firstly, when you start getting into that, you're already breaking the trust that exists. Mm. So I'm sure he was more than willing at that point in time for us to sit down and talk about salary packages and so on and so forth. But, you know, it wasn't the important thing. At the age, at that age, how did it, would it have mattered if I made 300 rupees more or 300 rupees less? Yeah. Know? So I think trusting my heart was always the most important thing in any situation. Yeah. Am I comfortable with this? Yeah. Go ahead. And what makes it easier is if you know that you have the strength and the resilience to deal with the consequences. So you say, I'm taking this based on my heart, where my heart tells me it's right. And so what if it doesn't work? Life is long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll do something else. Mm. And I think that life is long is something that we often forget to realize. Oh, absolutely. And in this world, I need something right now, like yeah. instant gratification. So how do you build that? Like, how do you deal with, uh, you know, build persistence and patience? Because I'm not sure about your age and, you know, the time that you were 2025, 20, it was not as instant as it is today, right? People had to wait for three weeks for a reply from somebody now here, like if you don't respond to your LinkedIn message in a day, then they would like bombard. Wrong. Yeah, there's something <laughs> wrong, right? One day is like two months, like you need to respond in a couple of hours. Yeah. So with this, now how do you really? Well, as you said, you know, I'm a yeah. product of a different time. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite stories, you know, I do um, even now, uh, though less, I do a lot of uh, expeditions into the mountains, trekking and long walks and so on and so forth. And one of my favorite stories is um, it was, uh, I think, 92. I was holidaying in um, the Manali region and there was a small village called Kasol. I had heard about this Bengali guy. We had common friends um, that he lived like a hermit on the banks of the Parvati in Kasol. And I met him. And within five minutes, we were best of friends. And um, we spent two very intense days talking together, listening to music, walking by the river and so on. And he said, you know, have you ever been to Ladakh? And I said, no. He said, you need to go to Ladakh. Mm -hmm. You must go to Ladakh. So I said, okay, yeah, I'd like to go. And he said, you know what? Now, this was April of 92. He said, August, I'm taking a group to Ladakh. And I'll finish with the group on the 9th and or 10th or whatever it is. And so why don't you come and meet me in Ladakh at the end of the trip? So I said, okay. So we looked at our dates and so on and so forth. And I said, okay, I'll reach Ladakh on August 14th, mm -hmm. 13th night or 14th morning, whatever it is. I said, okay, just remember the name of this uh, restaurant and we'll meet there at for breakfast at nine o'clock. So this is April, 
between April and August, I got one telegram from him in July yeah. saying, I'm leaving for Ladakh. Yeah. See you in such and such restaurant. At nine o'clock on August 14th, <laughs> I landed up over there and he was sitting over there. And we spent the next six or seven days traveling through, um, through Ladakh. Now, the point is that today, between those two events, there would have been 250 WhatsApp messages. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So many pins dropped. That would dropped. be less. 250 yeah. would be less. <laughs> so many pins dropped. Yeah. So many Instagrams and so on and so forth. And then we would have met. So um, that the age of instant gratification, not, not directly, but this environment that we live in, leads to so much wasted energy. And if you can shed all of that, and um, learn something from those times. I'm I'm not one of those people who say that was a better world. You know, I'm yeah, yeah. very much a citizen of today's world. You know, and I used your pin to get here roughly, and yeah. this one, <laughs> so forth. So I'm not I'm not a luddite. You know, I'm not saying reject all of that. But I'm saying there's certain values of dynasty, of commitment, of um, of learning to wait for the good things to happen and so on and so forth that lead to a tremendous uh, amount of reward. And the second thing that I'd like to say, and neither of these is answering your question directly, yeah. and I'm aware of that, is that, you know, all of this technology and all of this economic development that we have seen means what? It means that the world is a more productive place. It means that there is more in the world. And you see that everywhere, you know. 40 years ago, we were a food short country. Today, we have too much food. We don't mm. know what to do with it. 25 years ago, when I got married, a f flying to Bangalore and back cost you one month's salary. Today, it costs almost nothing. You don't even think about it, you know. Yeah. On a good day, you can get a flight for 5,000 rupees. 10,000 rupees are there and back. It's not a large sum of money any longer. So all of this has made the world a more beneficent place. There is more. And we must learn to use that more. To feel more content, not less. Yeah. So just because there's more food on the table, it doesn't mean that we have to eat more. Mm. And that's where we are. That's today. a beautiful way of putting There's it. There's so yeah. much food on the table and we want it all. Yeah. But a lot of that is not bringing joy to us. Mm. And we, life is about editing. Hmm. That's a very beautiful way to uh, look at it. Yeah. You have to edit out what's not necessary yeah. and focus on what actually brings you value. So it's not just about delayed gratification. So, I'm aware that I haven't answered that, but what I'm saying is, is not about delaying gratification, but it's about recognizing what actually gratifies you. And if you recognize that, there's enough of it on the table today. I think that's a beautiful way to put this because what we are trying to do is I want everything that's on the table. And if I don't have, because I might miss out because everyone else is having. Right. And so it goes back to yeah. who you are. Hmm. Now everything just connects like once, everything starts within. Absolutely. And once you have the understanding of who you are right. and what you really want. So does wearing a 25,000 rupee kutta make me feel more comfortable than wearing this 
थ्री ईयर ओल्ड कुर्ता विच आई बॉट फॉर एट हंड्रेड नाइनटी रुपीज इट डजेंट इन एनी वे इन वॉट वे so mohit you speak beautifully and uh, you articulate things really nice and uh, you know i have heard you speak there at the festival and uh, in that 90 minutes i had learned a lot whenever you talk you talk you make a lot of sense and you bring this wisdom with you and probably because of your experience that you have had and for the people who are in 20s like me or younger people I often feel that there needs to be more understanding of the world and life and I'm constantly you know thinking that you know I need to have more depth to things I need to understand you know more about the life more about the people more about myself start with yourself yeah. not with others mm-hmm. so how does one begin that I mean you have answered that already <laughs> right so start with self understanding yourself. yourself because when you look at other people you don't know their story yeah you can never understand them as well and sometimes it also leads you to start becoming judgmental about other people don't do that there's much more to be learned from yourself than from other people but if you do look at other people which is always informative try to stay away from judging them mm-hmm. because you never know the constraints under which they were brought up and what struggles they have gone through if you have to look at other people try and find what there is to learn from them rather than what there is to criticize about them it's tough because uh, part of fueling our own ego is about finding what's wrong with other people you know we do that all the time you're still going to do it but just be aware of that part of you So I'd like to now switch a little bit of a gear from this uh you know deep insights about yourself and um taking a risk going on the untrodden path to a little bit on the entrepreneurship side because if we don't talk about that then uh you know the the major portion of the things that you have done in your life will not be covered we wouldn't get those insights from your entrepreneurship so now with all the wisdom about entrepreneurship about investing and about business that you have and the understanding that you have had what would you advise to 25 years old mohit on the entrepreneurship or what advice would you like to give that uh in a young boy who was just uh, you know jumping and saying yes to in the business proposition of a friend what i would say is that um, it's much easier to take that leap today than it was in the late 70s 40 years later as i said the world is a much more uh, um beneficent place than it was then in general uh number 2 the indian environment is not as uncomfortable with failure as it was then number 3 there's an entire ecosystem out there angel funding seed funding venture capital etc etc the world and india has never ever been so welcoming to young people with a good idea a dream and passion so jump into it mm-hmm. jump into it and uh, the lessons that you will learn along the way whether you succeed or fail yeah will be invaluable mm-hmm. and i can see charting the course of 
I won't say charting the course of 30 entrepreneurs because some of the investments I've made, I don't really have much of an engagement with. But at least 10 or 12, I know their stories really well. I meet them regularly. Some of them I have a mentorship relationship with. But the kind of growth that they've seen as individuals, as businessmen, as I can say many of them are friends now, uh, has been incredible. And uh, so it's a great opportunity for growth and uh, learning. And the growth is not on the metrics of the business making money or its valuation going from five crores to 50 crores. It's a growth inside you yeah. that, uh, that is absolutely enormous. So just jump into it. There's never been a better time to follow that desire to make something happen. And I can see that excitement in you. <laughs> and I totally agree on the growth that you will have. You know, you will come out as a much prepared, much better version of yourself than you know. You would be better to take on. You would definitely be at way better place than where you are right now. Even if you even lost if you fail, yes, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Even if you lost the entire money or your business goes down, you will be in a much better position and much better equipped to take on the next challenge. Then, right. So, what is the best piece of advice on entrepreneurship that you have received? Love your business and don't be scared to build the best product that you can. Don't build a product or a service which you think is good enough for the market. Build something that you can truly say, this is something that I believe in. Your self-belief about what you build is the most important thing. Don't say this is good enough for the market. This is a truly the product I can believe in. This is a product into which I put honesty and love and the best knowledge that I can summon about this particular domain. So what are some of the traits that you have seen? And I'm sure you have engaged with a lot of entrepreneurs and you have worked with some of them. And what are the traits that really separates those people who make it? So the first is intellectual curiosity. Mm. The second is passion. The third is uh, tenacity. So even if things go wrong, you don't knuckle under, you deal with the storm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't learn from it. So if you have that intellectual curiosity and things go wrong, you'll also find a way to change something, to pivot something, to say, you know, I made a mistake over yeah. here. So that balance between, um, between being tenacious and being flexible yeah. is very, very important because um, most businesses don't get the product or the business model or the service right the first time. You know, they have to learn and they have to uh, adapt and so on and so forth. And without a doubt, if all of this is not underpinned by integrity, then nothing works. That's like a common minimum prerequisite. So tenacity, intellectual curiosity, passion, and uh, integrity. There you go. So I have one question before we jump into another segment, what I call is enlightening round, which is uh, kind of a quick Q&A uh, where I'll shoot you some questions that I ask all my guests and uh, you will answer, you know, share 
your thoughts on that. So, so what do you think now you know about living a happy life that you didn't you didn't know in your twenties or thirties? Well, the most important to me is uh, that you can follow your dreams. You can make your dreams come true. That. What other people see as sacrifice are not necessarily. They may be very trivial things to you. You can live life and achieve your dreams. That's, I think, the most important. Number two, that people respect courage. Even the mother's sister that you talked about yeah. <laughs> will come around. Oh, yeah. yeah. Will come around. Absolutely. When you do what you want to do and you find happiness into it, people love happy people. True. You know? Yeah, people love happy people. Number three, treasure your relationships and uh, be true to everybody you encounter. Not from an expectation of what you'll go back with, what you'll get back from, but just because being true is a value in itself. Mm. And you know, for the last few days, I've been struggling to find the right expression in English for this. Mm -hmm. But a young friend of mine told me the other day, she said, you know, you told me something once, which I've always sort of held very strongly, which is, Dil kabhi chota nahi karna. <laughs> yeah. And I have been trying for the last two weeks since she told me this. I'd forgotten I'd said it to her. But um, I've been trying to find a way to put it in English and I haven't been able to put it <laughs> You know, so to say, don't close your heart is not enough. Not enough. It's not enough, yeah. but you get that sense. You yeah. Know? I think this goes back to that point that I really deeply believe in, which is that the world is a place of extreme munificence. Mm. And if you do things with an open heart, then uh, your heart never gets empty. Yeah. You know, if you say that my heart is only this much and therefore I can give only so little <laughs> of it, then what are you saying? You're saying that the heart is restricted. Mm. But the heart is not restricted. So if you open your heart up, it actually becomes bigger and there's more and more to give. So, kabhi dil chota Love that. All right, so let's move on to the enlightening round. Are you excited? <laughs> I'm very happy to be here and uh, right. to open my heart up. And <laughs> Super. What inspires you to do everything that you do? The joy of living. If you have to attribute all the success that you have in your life to one daily habit of yours, what that would be? I think that the success I would like to have from life on a continuing basis, and I don't think I have enough of it, is uh, to live each day with joy. And I think we often forget that. But I think that the most important thing to find that success on a day-to-day -day basis is gratitude. Because it's very easy to think of all that you don't have. Mm. And that's unbounded. It's unlimited. I went on a holiday to Europe. Then I want to go on a holiday to Europe, a travel business class. And then I want to go on a holiday to Europe and I want to travel first class. And I want to go on a holiday to Europe and have my go on my private jet. And then that private jet shouldn't just be a, a Learjet. It should be a wide-body jet. And then it should be a 777. And we know people who behave like that, right? Yeah. So it's infinite. Mm. But if instead I say, 
I never thought in my life that I would be able to go to the Galapagos Islands mm-hmm. and swim with a penguin sure. with my son, who was as fearless about swimming in the open waters as I was. And it doesn't matter which airline I flew, which class I flew, whether I where had, I'm staying. Yeah, yeah. But I did that. And I must look upon that with extreme gratitude. Then I'm successful. It's not one leading to the other. Yeah. The two are playing off each other. Mm. Because the more gratitude you feel, more positively you lead life with. And the more positively you lead life, the more fulfilling it will be. And the more fulfilling it is, the more gratitude you'll feel. So it's not one thing. It's this relationship between... The condition of your heart and uh, uh, the way in which the world responds to it and uh, and plays back to you. So if you look back at your life today, what are the three things, let's say you are starting, if you had to start this whole journey all over again, what are those three things that you would have done differently or things that you would have started early in your life? Anything. You know, I find that a very difficult question to answer <laughs> because I think I've had a great life. <laughs> and um, the world is such a different place. So um, I think the one thing that I would probably change is that, um, you know, when I finished college in uh, 1977, I had um, promised myself that I would uh, travel overland from here to Europe. And I did that. It was the most amazing journey, both in time and space, as well as into myself, doing that. But um, I had already accepted this job with uh, Hindustan Lever. And at that point in time, getting a job like that was a dream come true. And um, so I had a date by which I had to come back. Okay. There were... At least a couple of points on that journey, which if I had submitted to, would have been incredible new paths. And I may have ended up in the same place, but it was a beautiful opportunity to explore Mm -hmm. a different life. So I think that's one thing that I would have uh, changed, which is uh, not to have to come back in two months. Okay. But just take those opportunities which presented themselves and travel for a few months, maybe a year or whatever, just be open to that possibility. Aside from that, you know, really nothing. Mm. Because uh, I don't think at any point in time did I overstay my welcome in any part of my life. Mm. You know, and I think that's very important. That when my heart grew tired of something or lost its passion, I jumped into something else. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the best you can do. Don't overstay your welcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not talking about welcome in somebody else's life. In your own life. In your own phase of life. True. You know, when you're tired of it, move out. Move out. And that's something I've been very blessed by. Mm. You know, I'm not talking about a few months. Maybe, you know, maybe I shouldn't have worked in in the Sunlee for four years. Maybe it should have been three and a half. Yeah. You know, that apart. Yeah. And rarely overstayed my welcome anywhere for more than a few months. When the time was <laughs> right, I was gone. <laughs> All right, so I have one last question left for you before I ask that question. First, if people would like to reach out to you and, uh, you know, see the updates from you and or get in touch with you, what's the best possible way? 
You can email me. Cool. You will probably have show notes. Yeah. Put my email ID on it. No cool. problem. Uh, are you active on any social media? I tweet a fair amount. Okay. Yeah, under my name, Mohit Satyanand. And uh, if you are listening to this, tweet him what you have learned from this episode at the rate Mohit Satyanand. So here's the last question for you. Imagine that you are standing on the stage of the largest ever built stadium in the world. And this stadium has got the capacity to hold millions of people and every single seat on that stadium is occupied mm-hmm. and you are there on stage and you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life what would be your lesson what would be your message to these people i think i've said all of it during this interview but to condense it i would say दिल कभी छोटा नहीं करना शेयर लव करेज ओपननेस पैशन ट्रूथ एंड अब ऑल ऑनेस्टी सुपर इट हैज बीन अ फेनोमेनल हैविंग कन्वर्सेशन विद मोहित थैंक यू सो मच फॉर बीइंग ऑन द शो माय प्लेजर अप्रिशिएट दैट थैंक यू सो मच फॉर लिसनिंग टू दिस एपिसोड ऑफ द इंस्पायरिंग टॉक पॉडकास्ट यू कैन सब्सक्राइब टू द शो वेयरएवर यू गेट योर पॉडकास्ट फ्रॉम I hope you learned something or got some inspiration. If you did, let me know your biggest takeaway from this episode on my Facebook, Twitter or Instagram @bjspeaks. You can access the show notes of this episode by visiting theinspiringtalk.com/8080. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspired